start out in our scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now let me make a little bit of an announcement about me before we start. I heard it said one time that the preacher had started preaching and began to meddle in folks' business. Well, that's probably what I'm talking about this morning comes under the head of meddling in y'all's business. But it's a thing that God holds close to his heart. I've never preached it before. And I've heard a lot of modern preachers that don't talk about it anymore. But it has to do with the law of separation. Our modern culture, our modern church culture for sure, doesn't talk about these kind of things much anymore, but it's just as close to God's heart as it ever was. It has to do with God saying that we as his children need to separate ourselves from sin and in some cases from sinners. We need to be separate. And God makes that plain in his word and we'll talk about it. It's an old subject. Now this thing about separating ourselves from sinners and we define, as like I've said, I preach the word and if there's any word in that scripture that I think somebody might confuse then I try to give the biblical definition of the word as they used it at that time and what God meant by what he said. Sinners is those with habitual and willful sin. That means people who know better than to do what they're doing and they do it anyhow. And God says we don't need to mingle with them. And this effort of keeping ourselves separate from sin and separate from some sinners is an effort that God has given to us. We need to be the one making that effort. And we know that, that, that God's preaching and what His will is is given a very lax attitude about present-day churchgoers. Folks are going to church every Sunday and going out during the week and doing every kind of sin in the whole world. And folks don't seem to make any difference in the way they're doing. Preachers need to be talking about it because God says in Deuteronomy, I have put before you a choice, a blessing and a curse. And you can live under the curse that I'll put on you, or you can live under blessing. But God intends, and I think most of us know this from the very first we ever heard about the Lord, when we live in a way that pleases Him, He blesses our lives. And that is something called circumstances. And it's as simple as our tires last longer on our cars and our refrigerators last longer in our kitchen because we live in a blessed life. And some of us have notice that and some of us have it 
But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or chapter 5, and verse 9, let's read there. Paul says, I wrote unto you in a letter or an epistle not to company with fornicators, people who are involved in sexual sin, to mingle by choice, to company, to company with sinners is to mingle with them by choice. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world or with the covetous, those who are greedy, or extortioners, those who try, want to try to take everything you got away from you by any way they can, or with idolaters, and I'll mention this, in every time that idolatry is listed in the New Testament, it's also listed with, with, with people who are covetous because what it mounts to is I want what I want more than I want what God wants. And I can make an idol out of anything. I ran into that one time in my business. I was wanting to be a world champion horse trainer and I think I wanted to be that more than I wanted to be pleased with God. Have God pleased with me and my lifestyle. And I was made aware of it by God and I had to change my ways. So it says, These are extortioners or with their idolatries, idolaters, for then must ye... In, order, in other words, if you're going to get away from all the sinners, you're going to have to leave the world. Because in this world, you're going to be around them all the time. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such a one, no, not to eat. You don't associate with brothers and sisters, church people, Christians, who are involved with stuff like that. And we know We've been in churches, I've been in 13 myself, where you know there's somebody in there that during the week they're doing things and everybody in the country knows about it and they won't quit it. And it gives us a responsibility as Christians not to mingle with them. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Without the church, it means. Outside the church. Do not ye judge them that are without and within. We look at those that are within and Paul says, I don't have anything to do with them that are outside the church. I've got no comment to make about them at all regardless of what they do. But I do have, as a Christian, a responsibility before God to notice the people that are in the church and what they're involved in. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, I put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, one of the references I have in my Bible is back to Matthew 18 when it talks about somebody who has sinned against you and you go to that person and tell him that he's sinned against you and that gives him a chance to ask you for your forgiveness. But if he won't do that, and he throws it back in your face, then you go with him with one or two witnesses so that what he says can be corroborated. 
And if then in front of two or three, and you see that also brings the sin to the notice of more than just you. He sees that more people than just one know that he did that. And if he still refuses, then it says you treat him like he's not a Christian. You get away from him. That is the scripture that it was talking about when he said, I have told you not to accompany with people who are involved in sin when everybody knows it and they're not making any effort to try to change it. So this I'm talking about this morning, the scripture I will read you this morning has to do with those people among us and some of you I know are like that. You want to do everything you can to please the Lord. And there's some others that really, you know, don't try to make that big an effort. They come to church. They talk the talk. But they don't always walk the walk. So this is for people who want to be obedient in all things because this is where you get the blessed life. If you're living a compromised life with the Lord, you don't always get all the blessings. Those things that we hear, that God will give us a blessing if we belong to Him, is when we belong to Him and make effort to try to live a life that He's pleased with. So we separate ourselves from those things and those people that God is not pleased with. That's as simple as is what we're talking about. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10 says, Whatever thy hand findest to do, do it with all thy might, for there is no work in the grave. What the Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, is telling us, and most of us learned this in beginners probably, you know that my church would take out little scriptures or parts of scripture and say something to the kids, to get them to memorize those things in their minds. So as they grew, they would always think about that thing. And one of the things that I was told as early as I can remember was whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your mind. Don't do any stuff halfway. Give it all your effort. I wasn't told that it says also, for there's no work in the grave. So once you get to the grave, there's no work you can do. So when you're here and your work is going to be examined by people, put out an effort. Do it with all your might. And that's the thing we're told to do by God. If you're going to serve me, do a good job of it. Don't do a halfway job. Don't be a men pleaser. Don't do it just so folks will pat you on the back as you go by. Do it for the Lord. These issues that we'll talk about today, there's a couple of them, there's more of them, and I'm probably going to have to include it in a couple of more sermons. I don't know yet. But these issues, so many believers today don't even know about or respect that God feels that way. And we need to know God's mind and do what pleases Him to be blessed all the way. So with that in mind, we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22, if you will. This is a controversial subject. 
And it, today's culture has really spit in the face of what God is trying to say here and what he's trying to do with us. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5 says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, this is not about men wearing women's clothes and women wearing men's clothes. This is about God intended for us as his chosen people to have what is known as a distinction of the sexes. When you're out among other people, people ought not to be confused with whether you're a man or a woman. Now, today it's been said that scientists can prove to you that there is such a thing as global warming in the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy says there's not. But they can't tell a boy from a girl. And that's about the way they are. God intended for his people to be distinct in what sex they happen to be. Now let me tell you something. This is not anything to do with women wearing pants, Okay? I've had deacons come to my house years ago and tell me I need to get my wife to quit wearing those blue jeans. And that wasn't what it was about. Because at the time this was written, men and women think of this picture now that God's got in my head. Because I've researched it and I know what it looked like. They both wore cloaks that came to their knees with a hood as a rule. That was a normal dress for people of that day. They had something to tie it around the middle of their waist. So if a man and his wife was walking down the street, you came up behind them. They both had on the same cloak. They both had on a hood. Neither one of them shaved their legs. They both wear the same kind of stuff on their foot. And the way a woman designated who she was is with an embroidered belt around her waist, much like the American Indians did. The women had an embroidered belt that had their own particular design on it. One woman could walk up behind another woman and tell who she was by the belt she had on. So what I'm trying to say to you, other than that, they dressed all alike. And the people who want to think and years ago, as I was a youngster, there were a lot of people. I knew one preacher that he'd be preaching a sermon for a woman walked in with a very attractive pantsuit on. He'd stop preaching and tell her to leave till she could come back with women's clothes. Now that's the way it was just 65, 70 years ago, right here in this area. So what I'm trying to say to you is this. God intends for his women to look like women and his guys to look like guys. There was a thing went on when I was a, in my 20s, I guess, called unisex, where everybody dressed alike and they all wanted to look alike. That's an abomination to God. That's what God says. It's something I hate. I don't want that. I want us to be recognizable. Because the first pants, if you will remember, 
the first pants that were created, you remember the show I Dream of Jeannie on TV where the, the, the lady was some kind of a fairy or something like that and she wore them, them, them breeches that you could that bloomed out, you know, and had the shoes that had the curly toes on them. That was the first pants that were created, and they were created for girls. So this is not about women wearing pants. It's about the distinction of the sexes and people looking like who they're supposed to be and be easily recognizable. There are two ways, according to God and His Word, that we recognize each other in public, that He deals with. One is the way we dress, and you know what I'm talking about. You know what to dress properly is all about for a woman or for a man. And the other way is by hairstyle. And God has something to say about hairstyles. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. And to get there to this scripture, I've got to run over another scripture that's not looked at very favorably this, in this time in our culture. It has changed since I have been grown. The culture has changed. And I see so many TV shows and everything, advertisements and everything on TV where the man is always the dummy and the woman's always the smart lady. You, you see those? As you as a man, do you ever get convicted a little bit by that? Because we're always the ones that don't know which toilet paper to buy or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But anyhow, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 1, Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. I follow Christ. Paul says, I try to live like Christ, so you try to live like me, like Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, verse 2, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now we're going to look at another ordinance. Now that word ordinance means traditional Jewish law. There was things that Jews did because they were God's chosen people. They dressed a particular way. They cut their hair a particular way. And all of them looked alike because that's the way God said, I want you to look. I want there to be a distinction of the sexes. It was easy to tell a Jewish woman from a Jewish man because God made sure of it. And he says in verse 3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. This is an authority structure. God is very much into authority, and very few people today realize that. But it's from Genesis to, to, to Revelation totally through the Bible. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Everybody born is under some kind of authority by God, placed that away, except for God himself. He's the only one that has no one over 
him in authority. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors this head. This is the habit of a man taking off his hat when he prays or preaches. It's still done in this part of the country, in the cowboy culture, mostly in these rodeos and whatever. When it starts with a prayer, everybody takes their hat off. And in that particular culture, if somebody doesn't want to take his hat off, there's usually somebody standing close to him that'll knock it off out of respect for God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. So you don't say a prayer or you don't preach with your hat on. And so many of these cowboy preachers do that, and every single one of them that I've seen do it, that when I got to him, I called his hand about it because it dishonors God. I've had them tell me, oh, that's a small thing. That doesn't matter. And I've told them, well, my Bible says that a man that is faithful in the small thing is faithful in the big thing, and if he's not faithful in the small thing, he won't be faithful in the big things. So don't tell me it's a small thing because that tells me what you believe about the big thing. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now we'll get a little deeper into this. Verse 6, For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now we'll get into it a little further. God gave women their hair for a cover. He says, It is her glory. I tease my wife every time she comes back from haircut, well, you got some of your glory cut off, huh? But the woman's hair was given to her for a covering because we're on the subject of submission to authority. Please understand me. My Bible has taught me, and I've taught others, and like I said, this is something that's not thought much about today, but a woman, when she is born, is placed under the authority of her husband. That authority is given to her by God as protection for her. When she is under the authority of her father, her father is protecting her in all things. When that woman marries, that authority that she is under submission to is changed from her father to her husband. When my oldest daughter came to me when she first got married, she said, I need to talk to you about something. Me and my husband having a disagreement about this. I said, hold it right there. I am no more in that job. I have looked after you for nearly 20 years, but now it's his job and it's not mine. Well, I see I'm not going to get any sympathy here, she said. I said, well, it's just just a matter of authority is what it is, and I have lost my authority over you. I'm no longer in authority over you. Take it up with him. And then we see in Timothy where when a woman's husband dies, 
the church and the men leaders of the church are to see to it that that woman is protected like her husband would protect her. So a woman is under the protection and authority of a man from birth to death, technically, what God says. If the church, which it doesn't always do anymore, but it it takes a very small time to read the Bible and find out that God has a great deal of concern about women, women who and children who have no man to protect them. And the men that belong to God have that responsibility. So please, men, understand it. Whether you know that or not, God is holding you to that. For a man, verse 7, indeed, ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. So the woman, the women, are representatives on earth of the man that they are married to or the father that they were given to. And what his belief might be should be able to be looked at by the woman and tell how the man thinks and what kind of man he is. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Eve was created second, and a rib of Adam's was taken out and created her with it. So the man was not created for the woman. The woman was created for the man. And that's the reason God says that I have given the authority to the man because he was the first form. And we'll see the reason for it in just a second. Neither was the man created for the woman but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now that verse right there opens up the whole other deal. What God is talking about here, the purpose of authority in his scheme of things is so that the person under authority will be protected. That goes for me also. If I walk up to a group of men and I look around and I start popping off with my mouth and I say something that offends someone, I am out from under my authority and I am open for somebody's fist to come very fast to my face. It used to be that way. It's not that way anymore. They pull a gun down and shoot you. But what I'm trying to say is this. When whoso keepeth his mouth and tongue keepeth his soul from trouble. I mean, it works for the men too. That verse there about who's head of the other is not a verse about first place or second place. And so many movements today in modern society have tried to create this situation that women when they obey their husbands, are in a second-place situation and they belong to a second-place society. That's not true. God did not put people in first place and second place. He put them in place and out of place. And that's where we are. 
One is not over the other. I had a sergeant in basic training in Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. It wasn't near as smart a man as I was. Near wasn't near as good a man as I was. And I knew it, but I did every single thing that man told me because he was given authority over me. And he had it. And I saw it on his sleeve because I didn't have anything on my sleeve. And the military fixes it where it's very easy to tell who can tell you what to do. Because he's got more on his sleeve than you have, or a collar one. Neither was the man, for this caused off the woman to have power on her authority on her head, or show that authority on her head, because of the angels. What in the world is God talking about there? The word angels in the Bible, if you know, we've said it here before, you have to look at the context to see which angels he's talking about. Because you see, God's got angels and Satan's got angels too. And Satan's angels are called demons. Now if you remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, I believe, it says that Satan, like a roaring lion, travels back and forth across the earth seeking whom he may devour. When he appeared in the throne room of heaven in the first chapter of Job, God says, Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been walking to and fro across the earth. That's what Satan does, and that's what his demons do. They're flying around all over trying to find somebody that will be vulnerable to them and they can harm their way to Christ. The demons have, the, have a standard job of trying to destroy anything God does. And God does everything he does through people. So it's people thereafter. So what does this mean? It means that a woman ought to be able to show the submission to her authority because of the demons that are flying around looking for somebody they can destroy. Now, in my mind, that has to do with wild kingdom. Y'all remember that on Sunday night? And this little antelope, there's about a million of those antelopes out there, and this little antelope walks up to his mama and says, you know, I think I'm going to go to the back of the herd and act like I'm crippled. And mama said, you better not do that. Why? Because those lions over there in the bushes looking to see who might be the easiest to kill and eat for supper. And if you do something like that, you make yourself a target for those lions. So how does that apply to this right here? When a woman shows that she is out from under her authority, that takes her protection away from her. And the demons that are everywhere are looking for anybody that is out from under their protection because they know they would make a better target. So what's he talking about? Well, it says up here, if a woman doesn't have a covenant, let her be shaved or shorn. In those days, in 1 Corinthians, in the church at Corinth, the temple prostitutes shave their head. The professional prostitutes wore short hair. 
So what he's talking about is this. When a woman stands up in church to pray or prophesy, preach, in some cases, please understand me, I believe women have the gift of preaching too. A lot of people don't believe that, but I believe they do. But I believe they're limited to only preach to women or children. They're not to preach to men. It says plainly they're not. So when a woman stands up in church and looks like a woman of loose character, it's a little bit of a shame to God, right? So what he's saying here is, ladies, if you belong to the Lord, make sure that people understand that you are under the protection of your husband so demons don't come in and destroy your life. Now that creates another picture in my mind because I had two little girls. And my girls, like everybody else's girl, they had what they call was the meanest daddy in high school, which was me. And But if I'd had to do it over again, I'd have been even meaner. I see that now, but I was inexperienced to start with. And I was hard on them, they said. They said they wouldn't even be able to get a date because I was so hard on them and had to interview every boy they ever went out with. Well, it turned out that God took it and turned it around. Guys got to come into my business, my barn, and want to interview with me so they could go out with one of my daughters. It kind of was some uh, a, a, a passing of a test in order to get to date my daughter. So you see, it wasn't like they thought it would be because God changed it. But what I'm trying to say is this. Men, I see at the weddings I perform women of the world coming to those things. Not women of this church. I don't see it here. But I see it in women of the world. And culture today has them wearing clothes that don't even cover them up. You know that. You see them on TV trying to figure out a way to sit where the camera won't be showing things they don't need to show. Daddies and husbands, that's your problem. One of my girls will not leave, would not leave the house if I thought she was improperly dressed. Not only it says because of sin, but because it makes them a target for Satan. And a lot of young girls today are walking around targets for the demons of this world. They get way more trouble given to them by Satan's world than the girls who are properly dressed. Now whether you can believe that or not, maybe I've made a little bit too big out of it, but that's the way I was taught. That's the way I see this scripture right here. And men, you are the thing that keeps that from happening. I see young girls and I wonder, my gosh, did their daddy see them leave the house dressed like they are? Did he see them leave the house like they are? It gives me an idea what daddies are and whether I, I can't help it. Because I know from this scripture right here that it's daddy's job. And daddy's not doing his job. For this cause, a woman to have 
power or authority on her head to let people know that she is under her authority that has been given to her so she won't be a target. Nevertheless, verse 11, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Paul is saying here, we're equal in the Lord. There's another scripture in Galatians that talks about this. For we all get to God the same way, by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Neither is a man without the woman, neither the woman without the man. In the Lord, we're all the same as Christians. For as a woman is of the man, even so is a man also by the woman, but all things of God. It says in Proverbs that God created everything for himself, even the evil people. I never saw that before this week. But God created the evil people for himself for the day of judgment. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered or looking like a loose person? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? I thought when it said, doesn't nature teach you? When you see 15, 20 lines laying out there on TV, you can always tell the boys. They got the big old manes around their heads. See, the girls are slick. You can tell the boys. You look at a robin, you can tell what the boy robin, I mean, uh, the, the boy red bird is because he's redder than a woman is. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom neither the churches of God. Now you see, he takes that then and almost wipes it out. But you see, I'm telling you what God likes and what he approves of. But we don't have that custom in our churches, Paul said. We don't believe that. So then, what is the deal? It comes down to this. The deal is, if you want to be blessed, you do what God pleases. You do what you, you live like God wants you to live and what pleases Him. There is a choice. And like I said, in the people here, this group of people right here, and I know you, if you're really wanting to please God and live like you're wanting to please God, and most of you do, then you'll have these thoughts in the back of your head now that you know about them, and you won't conduct yourselves in a manner that God make God shake his head and say, man, I wish they wouldn't do that. It says in verse 16, contentious. You know what contentious is? A guy that's all the time trying to stir up something, trying to fight. So it says, if any man seemed to be contentious, he wants to fight about this, and it's not something to fight about. But you need to know what God said about it. He spent a pretty good bit of two pages here talking about this. So it must be important to him in some kind of way. So 
So if somebody wants to fight about it, don't even talk to him about it because it's not something that you want to fight about. Now, I came down to this point at this point in, in what it says. It has to do with a person's conscience. And that got me looking. And I looked at every place in the, in the Bible that talks about a conscience and how we get a conscience. Most of us got a conscience by our mom and daddy. You better know better than to do that. And then they'd tear you up if you didn't. So you developed a conscience by your mom and daddy. You knew what to do and what not to do. But I have actually run into one man who didn't have a conscience. He said he had never done anything in his whole life that he felt bad about. Not one thing. But I witnessed to him and he accepted Jesus Christ and all of a sudden everything got to be wrong. Everything he did. He said, something's wrong with that. I think I must be going crazy. I said, no, you're not going crazy. You've got the Holy Spirit of God living within you. And it's telling you this is wrong that you're doing. He said, well, that never happened before. I said, well, I've never seen anybody like that. But I guess if you say it is, that's the way it is. So people's consciences are different. I dare say that every single person in this room has a different set of rules about anything. We don't all agree about everything. And that's what makes us different. That's what makes us what God wants us to be. We all come to God the same way, but as soon as we come to God, we start splitting up because we all learn about God in a different way. We learn different things at different speeds. So once we're God's, we're still different because God planned it that way. Let me close out what I've said with this right here. God intends for his people to be recognizable. We'll see it probably in the next sermon about the way we cut our hair. The Jews cut their hair differently. And they did other things too to make sure that people understood that they were a Jew. Those things still apply, every one of them that I know of, to Christians. We're supposed to act like we're Christians so people will recognize who we are. Now, this thing about removing ourselves and separating ourselves from the crowd. We're not to look down on the crowd. We're not to feel like we're any better than the crowd. The problem is what we started talking about a couple of weeks ago is association without contamination. You're to deal with people about Christ without taking on their ways. So you don't socialize enough with sinners who are blatantly choosing to stay in sin because it might be that you take it on yourself. I can remember my daddy telling me as I was a kid, if you want a child that's a thug, let him hang out with thugs, and one morning you'll be looking across the breakfast table at a thug. And that's the way it is. If you hang out with people that way, you'll take it on yourself. But this is a statement that a person reading, writing about the Bible said, this underlying principle is that in a moral universe, it is impossible for God 
fully to bless and use his children who are in compromise and complicity with evil. So what I'm trying to say to you is this. You remember that there was no sacrifice for sin in the Old Testament when you did the sin intentionally. A lot of people don't know that. The sacrifices that God made in the Old Testament, a remedy for sin, was when you sinned accidentally. If you did it on purpose, you couldn't kill a goat or a dove or a cow or a sheep or whatever and sacrifice yourself and be forgiven for that sin if you did it on purpose. So today in knowing, and and it says plainly in Proverbs that men are treated differently by God when they know they're sinning and when they don't know. So a preacher's job is to educate everybody about what God says is sin and what's not sin. So you'll know. And then if you do it, it's probably intentional. Maybe accidental. God has to decide those things. I'm not qualified. But I would have you know that these are the things that God says about us that he wants us to look like so people, by just walking up and seeing us for the first time, will know who we might be or who we are not by the way we present ourselves. Let's close with prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you even for that part of the word that's not talked about much anymore because it goes so against our culture and the way people think now. So Lord, for those of us who are trying to do what you want to do, try to be what you want us to be, and try to keep from tripping up somebody on the way to Jesus. Let us live trying to do as best as we can what you'd have us do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.